Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Friends, sort of left it out of the beginning. I sort of buried the lead a little bit, but if you came in this morning and saw the red all over the place, then perhaps it might have clicked in your mind, oh goodness, today is Reformation Sunday. It is the day that we stop and we remember our forebears in faith who delivered to us sort of an understanding of faith developed that continues to grow from some ancient ideas into a faith that is modern. And one of the questions I always ask around this time of the year is, what, how do we think, it's a good time to stop and think about what it means to be the church and what we are doing in the church. And for me, one of the places where, it, maybe this feels weird from a pastor, but one of the things that the Reformation Sunday always calls to mind for me is that each and every one of us, if we are the beloved child of God, and I believe that we are, and if we are called by God in baptism to ministry, all of us, which I believe we are, then all of us have so much more to offer than we could imagine. It is not just up to the clergy to kind of hold the faith for everyone. We hold this work together. And I want to put that notion in your mind because I'd like to tell you a story of a time that I forgot that. And I forgot that in a role where I was supposed to be, for lack of a better term, clerical. I'll never forget the first time I got called out for not actually believing what I said that I believed. And it happened about York Hospital, the summer of, was that 2013, hun? Summer of 2013, and I'm doing my clinical pastoral education. And you're like, that sounds really fancy. Well, it kind of is. So, it's one of the ways that pastors through seminary are developed for pastoral ministry is we go into a non-congregational setting and do pastoral care work. I went to York Hospital where I was assigned to the chaplain's unit and we had a group of us that went through the summer together doing chaplaincy. And it was a wonderful group. And in fact, one of them, one of the, my cohorts I share a birthday with. So this is why this came to my mind as we were exchanging texts and reminiscing a little bit. And I remembered this story that I was assigned to this uh, uh, cardiac unit. I was assigned to a, to a heart unit. And so I'm doing my rounds, as I often did. And, out of, and in one corner of the, of the floor, I noticed that there were a bunch of doctors, kind of all of it, like not rushing, but like you just kind of knew there was something going on in the one room. And the family was kind of there. Wasn't urgent. They didn't have the paddles out reviving anybody. But you're like, something obviously is going on there. And so I wander over just to see what's going on. And in classic Sam fashion, I'm like, they're pretty busy. I'm just going to let them do what they're doing. I thought that was a good move. I go back to evaluate my day, as we always did. And I tell this story. I said, yeah, we had something going on. I checked back in later on. And they was like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, okay. I thought I handled it really well. Here's what you need to know about my supervisor. My supervisor was a soon-to-be-retired Native American Methodist. Let that sink in for a bit. I've never met a man like him in my life. Okay. What you need to know about him is that, yes, he was shaped by the traditions of the church, and yes, he had the bluntness of somebody who was about to be retired, and so he didn't much care what anybody thought about what he said. Some of you know what this feels like. But he was deeply shaped by Native American beliefs. I remember once we talked, he asked where I was from. He said, Limebro. I said, Limebro, which is where we were living at the time. And he goes, oh, you're the ones with the buffalo. Some of you may remember there used to be a herd of buffalo out there. 
And he, he would come and he would just sit. Because for him and for his people, those buffalo were sacred. And he would tell stories. And just the way that he talked about it, I was like, this man might be an inch wide. He was a very skinny man, but he was a mile deep. And he looks at me with that soon-to-be-retired kind of pointedness after I tell the story. And he goes, well, why didn't you go in? Why didn't you go into the room? I told him why. I said, I didn't want to be in the way. I mean, I, I made a joke, which I've made with many of you. I said, there's a lot of me and not a lot of real estate in those places. So it's, I just don't want to take up space. The doctors were doing stuff. And he said, well, didn't that person in their family need support? Do you believe the care that you have to offer is just as essential as anything those doctors were doing? <sighs> Talk about a gut punch. I didn't learn, well, I learned on that day of what pastoral care is all about. When he said that to me, I was like, oh, I actually do have something to offer to the world. But if I didn't learn that lesson in a hospital, I found an even deeper school for prayer in the local congregation. How often have each of you either heard it said or have said yourselves, I feel the prayers of the people around me. All of us have been in a space where we felt that, that beautiful burden of people praying for us and we felt that comfort and support in ways that we can't quite explain. And that that burden, that beautiful, wonderful burden like a weighted blanket has contributed positively to the healing, yes, of soul, but sometimes even of body. You all already know what a tangible, detectable, and real difference that prayer makes in another person's life. And if you're not sure, you go back and watch last week's service. Last week's healing service. Let me tell you what I saw as I was standing up here. Y'all shared some stuff, and I heard some stuff, and you all sensed some stuff, even if you didn't come forward. And there were tears to be shed and smiles to be smiled and peace in the souls that if we were simply to try to measure it, we could never measure it, but there was something palpable and powerful in this place. Friends, we know that prayer shapes us. It forms our vision, clarifies our purpose. But when prayer meets the pain of another, we as a congregation are in our wheelhouse in terms of mystery and beauty. We know something's up. We can't explain it, but we know something's going on. And to this end, let me say as clearly as I can that intercessory prayer remains at the heart of a local church. The prayer, prayer request then which is an invitation to somebody else's pain. Whether it's you come forward on a day like last Sunday, or you submit something through a form, or you slip me a little note before the service, or you, call, or you come and just tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, while you're leaving, can you pray for so-and-so? The prayer request is an invitation to somebody else's pain, but it is also an invitation to the divine work of the Spirit. So what is it that we believe? How, does, how is this a sacred space when we get a prayer request? Well, we've talked from time to time here in this space that pain and struggle are not signs of God's rejection, but rather, one might say, that pain and struggle in our lives are often the very place of God's most significant presence. Why do we believe that? Well, it's because we believe in Jesus. Because we look to the cross and we see how that goes down. You see, it was while Jesus was on the cross that Jesus not only does his most important work, of dying for your sins and for mine, but we also remember that at the moment Jesus was crucified, the temple veil, the veil that separated um, God from the people, the veil that separated clergy from the laity, all of this, that temple veil was torn in two. 
So that in the moment of the world's most extreme pain, as Jesus takes it all upon himself, is the moment that, God, that the veil is torn open and God is unleashed on the world. So in a similar way, in a prayer request, the Holy of Holies is opened to us because God is present in the pain of another. In this way, prayers, prayer requests are a sacred trust, a sacred encounter. They are a place for worship that needs to be nourished, cared for, and respected. It is the temple where you and I, not just as laity, but as the scriptures tell us, we are priests, we are a kingdom of priests. As priests, we carry out the responsibility of offering that sacrifice of prayer and praise. And in so many ways, this is the message of the Reformation. What is our work? To lift others before God in prayer. And the message of the Reformation is that the work that you do matters as much. There is no, there's no differentiation between what I do and what you do. I have a role, but together when we lift these prayers up, we are all priests. We are priests offering these sacrifices to a merciful God. This is a much bigger understanding than may, of prayer requests perhaps than we've ever had, but I absolutely believe it's the truth. And more to the point, the great 20th century scholar, priest, who ultimately left the priesthood, we didn't leave the priesthood, he was still a priest, but he left sort of congregational ministry to go live at a, at a center, a, a, a community of those who, um, who had mental challenges. He writes this, says, through prayer we can carry in our heart all human pain and sorrow. This isn't the clergy, this is all of us. We could carry all human pain and sorrow, all conflicts and agonies, all torture and war, all hunger, loneliness and misery, not because of some great psychological or emotional capacity, not because you're so good or I'm so good or we're so good, no, but because in prayer, God's heart has become one with ours. God's heart has become one with ours. And if God's heart can carry the pain of the world, then there's a sense in which we together, through the power of Christ, can do the same. And so in this way, intercessory prayer is a ministry both to the one who is in need and to the one who prays for that need. For the one in need, you might look back at me and say, well, of course, Reverend, well, yeah. But for the one in need, we are asking a benevolent God to act on our loved one's behalf. But when we do this, it's not some magic, say the right words, do the right dance, and maybe God will fix the problem that's going on. That's not exactly what it is. When people know that we are praying for them, what happens is less that things just kind of disappear and clear up. I mean, we've seen that happen, but we've also seen times that hasn't happened. But when you feel that burden like a weighted blanket of prayer on your shoulders, what happens is that for the one who is struggling what we discover is that they become more attuned, more open, and more seeking to how God is moving in this pressure point in their lives. When we know others are praying, we start asking in, our, in ourselves, well, if everybody's praying, how is God answering that prayer? And as soon as we think that, we start looking around, wondering where God actually might be found. Sometimes it's in healing. Other times it's in peace. Sometimes it's in a relationship with another We've seen relationships restored through times of intense pain, but we simply become more aware that God is present. So when we tell others we are praying for you, it opens their eyes to possibilities beyond the numbers, beyond the counts, beyond the diagnosis.
It's not just doctors doing the healing. God is healing as well. And it's an invitation to the one who suffers to become attuned to the mystery that is at the center of all our lives. But when we pray, our eyes are open too. This is what we so often miss. We just think prayers for the other guy. No, no, no. God has a purpose for us as well. Because we also become more attuned to the way that God works in the lives of others. We start paying a little more attention to those who are in pain. We start noticing that our vision of God becomes expanded, deepened, clarified. We also start looking for where is God present when I pray this prayer? And we start to see beautiful things pop up in places we didn't know beautiful things could happen. Like the guys who lowered the man through the roof to get to Jesus. You remember this story? They climbed up on the roof, tore the roof off, and lowered this guy on a mat. Just like, just like those, I imagine it was four guys, okay, who lowered their friend down. Just like those guys, we're all, we go away when we see God working in the lives of another. We go away saying, you are not going to believe what we just saw. That's what happens when we pray. Prayer is always forming us and aligning us with God's purpose and presence. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he gives these instructions to his apostles. When he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. When two or three are gathered, when the one who is sick and the one who prays, when we gather together, when we are united in purpose, what Jesus says, not that, you know, you might sense something. No, Jesus says, I am there. That is the temple, friend. Wherever Jesus is, if he is the son of God, wherever Jesus is, is the temple. It is the holy of holies. And Jesus says, that's exactly where you'll find me. And so when we gather around the suffering as the church, the presence of Christ is right there. And that cannot help but change us. So the great Protestant writer, some of you may have, may have uh, read his book, My Utmost for His Highest, one of the great devotional texts of all time. Oswald Chambers wrote these words. He says, intercession means raising ourselves up to the point of getting the mind of Christ regarding the person for whom we are praying. Getting the mind of Christ regarding the person for whom we are praying. We are, supposed, we are supposed, through our prayers, to see the world like Christ sees the world. And with the mind of Christ, prayer starts to take us into a bigger, more complex, and yes, more mystical world. As we get the mind of Christ, we start to see things that just our data-driven society cannot see. And we start to experience things that a, that a, that a world driven by algorithms simply cannot figure out. And in an increasingly secular society, places like this one are one of the last places where we can still yet wonder, is there something more going on here? Is there something deeper, something more profound about this life that we share? Or is it really all just numbers at the end? I posit that it's not. This space and these people that we share life with are a hint, a wink, a nudge that God is still yet active underneath it all. And for all of our data, for all of our smarts, for all of our enlightenment, for all of our algorithms, our souls still whisper that there is something more about this faith. Author Richard Beck recounts this kind of stirring in a different setting. He recounts walking through the redwoods in California. 
don't know if any of you have ever seen the Redwoods. I have not had the privilege yet. I'm seeing some nodding. I'm intensely jealous of you. But he recounts going to California, and his friend said, you got to go see the Redwoods. He's like, all right. And he said he went, and all he could describe was this experience. All he could say was life-changing, inspiring, holy. It was like walking through a cathedral created by the hand of God. Does this sound accurate? He said, I don't know. I've never seen them, but I have known that sense of the life-changing, inspiring, and holy. I've known that sense of worship, that sense of God's presence, and perhaps maybe some more mundane places, but nevertheless, no less beautiful. I've seen it in the birth of a calf. I've seen it in the harvest of a pepper. I've seen it today in the blazing glory of autumn. And Beck cautions us. He says, what you experience in moments like that is real. But he cautions us. He says, when, red, when redwood trees lose their sacred magic, when we stop understanding them as a cathedral and start understanding them as lumber, when redwood trees lose their sacred magic, it becomes very easy to cut them down. And the same goes for human beings. When we start seeing one another as simply a data point, or a place on a chart, or a name on a list, becomes very easy to cut one another down. And have we not seen an algorithmic society invest itself in, simple, in the chopping down of others because we don't see the divine value of one another anymore? Friends, the world is lying to us when it says you're just a number. Our life does not consist only of matter and data. And if the church has any role in a quickly secularizing society, a data-driven society, our role may simply be, and we'll feel old-fashioned and outdated and completely out of touch with the, with the real world, but if we have any role, our role may simply be to stand against, not science, we're not standing against science, not standing against knowledge, but what we're standing against is the reduction of the divine to a pie chart. An intercessory prayer does just that. It hints that something more is afoot. There's something more than we can quantify, something beautiful and dramatic and holy at the center even of our suffering. And that's why Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's in prison as he writes these words. Paul was getting prayed for. They're like, God, get him out of there. And even sitting in a prison, in his own pain, in his own struggles, he could say, I pray that you may have power to grasp how big is the love of God and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure it out. And so friends, in intercessory prayer, let us draw close to the place where Christ is. Because Christ tells us he will be found close to the sorrowing, to the poor, and to the brokenhearted. And if that's where your life is at right now, that burden doesn't feel like a weighted blanket, it feels like a backpack full of bricks, know that in that, Christ is drawing near to you. Because he promised to. And in intercessory prayer, we participate in the healing of the world, and we witness to a mystical kingdom of God. That kingdom of God that Jesus promised that is making all things new and is doing immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. 
And so I'll leave you with the words of Richard Beck. On the backside of that Redwood story, he writes these words. He invites us to pray for one another, saying, enroll yourself in this school of prayer. Do better than I did in the hospital room, in other words. Enroll yourself in this school of prayer. Invest in spiritual wonder. Seeds of awareness as, God's as signs of God's love drift on the air like dandelion tufts. 